Hello and welcome to the 159th episode of The Sausage Factory, which is brought to you by Spong.com and hosted by me, Chris O'Regan. In this show, we interview video game developers and ask them how they made their start making games, what the influences are and who inspires them. Split into two halves, the show initially focuses on the people themselves, and in the second half we discuss the game they're here to promote, which in this case is Ironcast by Dreadbit. Daniel, who are you? Hello. Who are you and what do you do? Hi, my name is Daniel Lever and I am the director and designer of Dreadbit. Nice. Uh, I like to pick designer first, really, <laughs> most of the time. So uh, is it Dan or Daniel? Uh, oh, let's be formal. Let's go Daniel okay. so I can feel special. Yeah. And, it's, it's, yeah. it's better if we don't do that because otherwise people do the Alan Partridge thing. Uh, Dan, Dan. 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 Yeah, I'm not Dan. tired of that at all. <laughs> That's never that's never made me tired. Although now the kids are all going, yeah, damn Daniel, which is another one. So there's that. Oh, there's that. There's that. But yeah, yeah I, I, yeah, I'm of that, that that generation that does the partridge thing and like, and what I'm doing now, typically to the listeners, like, let them get it out of their system. Just get it out of there. You done. You're done. Good. Okay, get out of your good. system. <laughs> Just Move get on with game design stuff. Got it. How did you make your start making flashy lighty video games? Making what? Video games? Flashy, lighty video games. I say that. Flashy, lighty? Oh, yeah. I th- no, I thought I heard something else. Oh, anyway. No, no, no. Um, yeah, well, I, I, was, um, I was initially an estate agent in my career. Right. A long time um, ago, many moons ago. Okay, that, that's great. Thanks. Um, <laughs> you're an estate agent? Wow. Yes. I, what happened was I was yes. at university studying something unrelated to games, studying criminology, and didn't really like it, but spent all of my free hours and free time making mods for Half-Life 2. Of course you did. Um, which a lot of game developers, I think, did mm. uh, back in the day, was make mods for other games. And loved every minute of it. And when I eventually left university, I uh, got a job, which was a state agency, showed people some houses, tried to let them out, that kind of stuff. And then one day, uh, one of my best friends got his dream job in advertising i don't know why he likes advertising but he does he loves it and he rang me up and went dad i've got my dream job it's an advertising it's i'm so happy and i was so impressed at him and thought why am i not doing my dream job why am i not making video games that i quit my job that same day i, I literally put the phone down with him and went to my boss and said i'm really sorry but i i've i've got on a course i remember saying to him it was like a bit of a lie i've got on a course because I didn't want to say, I've got nothing planned, but I want to make video games. I'm just going to leave. We're going to make video games. <laughs> yep. I've got no way. I have no idea how I'm going to do this, but I'm no. going to do it anyway. Yeah. So I, I left. He he said, good luck to you. I went off and I went back, moved back in with my mum. And I started making a portfolio of level design content initially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So because I thought, you know what? Game designers, game design, level design are often linked. But it's very hard to show that you can do game design, but you can show people cool levels. So I just made some more awesome level screenshots and made things look really pretty and started applying to different companies. Okay. Uh, and I got a bunch of different interviews, which were really cool. And one of them was a tiny little company in Guildford called Media Molecule. Oh, I've who, heard of um, them. Hmm. You've heard, yes, got <laughs> people. Strictly beard now. moment, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it was tiny. There was yeah. it was like twelve, thirteen people there, and they were Ooh. living. They were working above a bathroom showroom. Right. And uh, so they had like toilets and everything downstairs and their little development studio upstairs. 
but I loved it. It felt like a really feel felt like bedroom developers in a slightly bigger bedroom mm. that, without without bed in it. Um, <laughs> but it still felt like a bedroom developer yeah. team. Yeah, and so I, I chose them over them or Bizarre Creations, which turns out was probably the right choice because Bizarre, uh, Bizarre Creations don't exist anymore. No, it's unfortunate to them. And turns out we were making Little Big Planet, which was uh, a game for the PlayStation Three. And it was a really cool game about user-generated levels and content. And it really did kickstart a whole bunch of other things off and made people people more at home for things like Minecraft and all the other... And uh, Roblox and all those other ones that came afterwards. Which is really cool. That's, that's an extraordinary bit of history. And the making games or levels for, for Half-Life 2, that's quite a, that's quite a thing. I mean, did you, was there a little bit of coding there or was it mainly you just putting you know textures in and, and you know making strange levels or mirroring the local pub in half-life 2 <laughs> you're absolutely right it it okay so no there's no programming as such right people can script sequences and cameras and all yes, that kind of stuff yes. but i was i was doing mostly multiplayer level design so nothing nearly needs to move just sound effects need to play when you walk through doors and the usual kind of stuff mm-hmm. but it is generally a more visual thing like putting down blocks scaling them uh cutting into them to make walkways texturing uh setting up sound effects that kind of stuff really not not so much um uh anything that you have like not so much texturing or making assets like models or meshes it was really much more the blocks and the build the basic structure of levels and you'd have environmental artists who would help you by putting in the lampposts and the other little in, like details and things <laughs> and what, what what i find amazing about that is what well, very strong about that is that you you are sort of circumnavigating the, the whole coding process and having to know assembly and that kind of stuff and that kind of mess not there's anything wrong with that uh, and actually delving into the really difficult thing to put down and nail down is actually the art of game design uh, thankfully over the last 10 20 years maybe people actually understood that Oh, this is a thing. Yes, yep. it is. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, so when I was at Media Molecule, it became clear that um, actually it took many years. We're talking like it took five years of being there for me to realize that I was slightly more interested and probably better at the game design aspect of things rather than the level design aspect of things. So I would mm. often try and have lots of input into systems and features that had nothing to do with the levels. And I'd be like... Give it here. That kind of attitude to different things. Like if you this this thing needs to feel like this, needs to take this long to happen, needs to make this sound, and people be like, "Why?" And I kept thinking, "Well, isn't it, isn't it obvious? Because it will feel better." Yeah. And it was only after years and years of doing it that I realised that not everybody sees it that way. No, not everybody can. And it's not like I'm special. I'm just different. Other different, people can yeah. program. Other people can do amazing music. Yeah. I can't yeah. do those things. Right. But I can see what would be fun or what yeah. it, it seems like nearly obvious that it'd be more fun if this thing exploded than if it just sort of faded out or whatever. Yeah. yeah. That um, everyone has their own skills and strengths and, and weaknesses. Right. And understanding that and exploiting that from your team and dragging that out from your team is very, very difficult. But um, once yes. you understand it, it's quite extraordinary. But I just. It's, it creates an amazing thing, as did you know, eventually led to Little Big Planet and One, Two, and Three. Um, but what's 
I find fascinating. I do have these arguments. I don't need to call them arguments because that's what you do on the internet. You don't discuss things. You argue. Um, <laughs> you have lots of people sort of like bemoaning. I don't make games like they used to. Like, yeah, thank God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is it, if you actually look at some of the older games, they are yeah. quite janky. They are. And they were excellent for their time, but they didn't yeah. like the, the things we did back then just don't hold up today. Some, some of them do. But it's more of a crapshoot, isn't it? It's like, so it's yep. like, yeah, that, that bit was good. But that bit, oh, God, yeah. Uh, That's it. We, like, I, I remember Resident Evil was fantastic, but I could never play a game like Resident Evil with a Resident Evil, Resident Evil control scheme anymore. Yeah, the tank. They sort of drive yourself like a tank. It just doesn't <laughs> make sense to me that you... But I remember loving it more than anything else in the world. So yeah. obviously something there are aspects there. that need to be, yeah, need to be kept. So obviously you worked there, but you you no longer work there. So just bring us straight up to date. What happened? So, so there are there is there is there is a period of time I don't pretend to like to talk about. Which, which I will talk to. to you about. Sorry, no, no, no. Oh, it's not it's not a bad thing. Okay. It's that I left Media Molecule and tried to make a company, right. and that company folded. <gasps> And it was only on the second attempt did Dreadbit happen, which was successful. Right. So it makes more sense in your show to talk about the one that folded as rather than just present the, oh, look, Dreadbit was successful. Because that's, right. okay. that's not as interesting, I don't think. Okay. So what happened? So I left Media Molecule with a bunch of other molecules. There was uh, four of us in total. Me as design, um, another person as... Uh, as programmer, another person as an animator, and a fourth person who was not a part of Media Molecule, who was the art director. Hmm. And we created a little company called Ambient Studios. And we got this great contract with Sony, because obviously we had worked with Sony for many years, and we pitched them an idea, and they went, oh, we like that. That would make an excellent game for the PlayStation Vita, which has not been released yet. Right. So we said, oh, we can make it for PlayStation Vita, no problem. That's, mm-hmm. That sounds good, we'll take that contract. So we started making it. And if I'm completely honest, it was very, very ambitious. And even at the time, I thought, let's not make it too ambitious. Let's make it. Let's make it. Let's make it something achievable. Looking back, it was ridiculously ambitious. Right. For a team of what would end up being about eleven people, it would just would never have worked. Okay. And it's it's very. What actually killed? Um, what actually killed the the game because mm. it was obviously canned and that's why no one, no, no one knows about it no. was that Sony had, had looked at the Vita and gone we don't really want to be funding Vita games internally mm-hmm. we want to be making sure that people are by you know, third parties are funding them fine yep. we'll support those guys but that's where we see the Vita being and our game also was not fun yet so there was it's not really just Sony it was it was definitely a joint, joint issue right, right. But the game was canned, and we basically ran out of money over the next couple of months making little projects and prototypes, and we all went our separate ways. And that was the end of the the least glamorous fizzle out of a company ever. But I did learn a lot of good stuff mm-hmm. from my time at Ambient Studios, and that helped prepare me for the second company I formed, Dreadbit, which thankfully, having learnt a few lessons, and uh, the, the other team members from, from uh, Ambient have also gone on to learn from the lessons learned from Ambient and have all been successful in different areas as well, which is really good. That's good to hear. But and I yeah, can't remember it's... what the question was now. I've rambled. No, I just wanted to know where you got, how you got from starting making Half-Life 2 levels and selling, ah. selling um, uh, houses to the 1%. And then... <laughs> That's it. And then that's up to it. the present day. That was, that's how we got there. 
So, yeah, what a story. So, yeah. The present day is, I tried again, I had a much better idea, well, I think I had, well, I, okay, I can say it's a better way of doing things than with Ambient, which is that I don't have a permanent staff with Dreadbit, unless, oh, uh, unless I have a project. Okay. So we don't have any costs at all, except for paying for me to live. Right. Uh, and then I basically pitched the game concept to trusted programmers, artists, audio people, and I create basically a team um, for the project, much like the, the film industry does. You know, they'll bring in different studios to handle lighting and costume, editing, that kind of stuff. And we all work together for between six and 12 months on the project. Mm-hmm. And then when it's finished, we all go our separate ways. Yep. Yep. And what that means is we don't have costs that will kill the company and we have no pressure to keep making sequels or anything like that. We just do what we need to do. That is very typical for the creative industries, isn't it? Um, other industries, more traditional ones, don't do that at all. They have more than one project at the same time, which you and I know is can be disastrous. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. You know, to have... but those other industries don't have suffer from the same problem typically they have different ways of managing it and also been doing it for a very 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 long time yeah i'm talking about architects and things like that they have lots of just how they work uh because of the nature of the work but yeah creative industries are extremely draining and either need either have no resources or you have a cast of million earth sorry thousands i'm thinking about i'm talking about ubisoft and uh, ea and think other of a similar ilk I think uh, having more than one project generally does tend to cannibalize. One project will tend to cannibalize the other as it nears completion. Mm -hmm. And so all you've really done is sort of slightly delay the the, the second project, in which case everyone jumps onto that one. And then maybe if it's overstaffed and actually you've got a problem where you have to worry about training up the new team members, the influx of new team members um, to deal with the sort of like theme and mood and tone of the project as well as well as how to actually produce the content so i i I don't know if i think if you're going to have multiple uh projects in a studio it needs to be basically two separate teams that don't really have anything in common other than the name above the door and that's the only way i mean i I haven't been at that kind of company so i'm just purely guessing to be honest but that's i imagine obviously it works somehow because yeah obviously it it does work but you know, I know maybe they have some. You have a team doing FIFA and another team doing, you know, uh, um, what's that? Anthem. You know, it's a completely yeah. different different games. You'd think, unless they start playing football and Anthem, then we're all for lunacy. Well, then so maybe they will. <laughs> maybe they will. Um, so uh, just remind me of a horrible story, which I'll talk about after the end of the show. Not now because it's not appropriate <laughs> to do it. Oh, great. To do with the yeah. We'll talk about it later. What, as a creator of things, because you do create things, what do you believe as your biggest influences? Ah, well, that depends mm. on uh, the game I'm making at the time, I think, is the best okay. way to look at it. Right. Uh, so for Ironcast, my biggest influences were a game called Puzzle Quest, which Puzzle was a Quest. DS game. and Actually, it was on everything at the end, I think. But it was the game I played it on, the platform I played it on was the DS. Just combined... Um, Pattern finding is how I like to like to um, describe those games. Games where you get to you get good at spotting patterns of colours or shapes in a grid, and that's very addictive and compelling to me. But then it puts another layer of what do you do with those things. You don't just give you score or points, which is a bit boring, a bit dry. Yeah. 
do you unleash attacks or do you get, get mana for spells or what is it you do or do you defend yourself? And so that obviously influenced Dying Cast quite heavily. And I was also playing a lot of Hearthstone. So for that one, it felt like I love the idea of one person versus one person and the, the intimacy of that kind of battle. Rather than having dozens of units to command, it felt like it's you versus them and you've got your range of skills and strengths and they've got their weaknesses and strengths as well. And that's another aspect of it. And from a sort of tone and, and theme point of view, steampunk is just so much more refreshing and interesting to, for someone to develop a game with than say like japanese themed anime uh, gundam mechs or or other more hollywood like near future tank mechs or something like that i just felt like uh, yeah there's steampunk a time and place for pacific rim and there's a time yeah. and place for big mechs from steampunk mechs um, yeah I'm not, sure if, I'm not sure if I'm familiar with board games that much. Forgive me for saying it. But do, you, do you know a game called Scythe? Are you familiar with Scythe. I'm yeah, it it's it's huge. It's very 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 popular in board game land, and that was spawned from a painting. And this painting, oh. yeah, and this. Painting, oh yeah, no, I've seen this. Yes. I didn't. <laughs> this is with the. Is this communist era? Yeah, it's uh, like. Mechs. Yeah, they're sort of. 1915, 19, sort of 20s sort of era of, you know... No, no I was incorrect. They clearly couldn't exist at that time, but what if? What if yeah. they did make, make I love life? that. I'm already <laughs> interested. There's another game. There's a World War II themed uh, mech game as well called... Not Flames of War. That's the, that's the genuine realistic one. It's called Dust. Okay. Dust Tactics. Yes, I, I know that one. Yes, I, I'm not. I'm not familiar with the miniatures game. This is just. This is actually. It, it, so it, it looks like a uh, a battle game, like a combat game, but it's not. It's a deceit. It's like no. It's actually a point chasing game, and it, like the ah. fighting. The fighting is a sideshow. It's at the core distraction. of it. it. Yes, a distraction. The core of it is get the most points first. <laughs> and right. it's, it's a race to that because you can trigger the end of the game without knowing it. Like, oh no, not yet, not yet. Because oh, sh- <laughs> I haven't, you know, you haven't put all the pieces together to get the maximum points. It's, yeah, it's a wonderful I see, game. I see. Cool. But the, but the painting, as we get back to this, this painting, uh, uh, beautiful, absolutely beautiful, but it's a beautiful, serene sort of like um, uh, farm of sheep and cattle and looming over it is this massive sort of steampunk mech and like mm, nice. what's going on there and the creator of the board game went i need to make a game about that <laughs> and he yeah, did that's great and that's that's uh, but you know, that's what when i'm playing iron cast i i'm drawing myself into that other world uh because it's just like that what if what if we did find this amazing sort of magical sort of element that allowed us to build things like this what would we do? Well, we'd fight the French, of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> of course we would. We'd so, fight over it. Entente Cordiel does not exist in Iron Cast. <laughs> By any yeah. stretch of the imagination. Um, so, we're going to go on to that. So, your, your inspirations really um, are from other games, maybe other fiction. Um, just th- your kettle on your kitchen... <laughs> side table whatever is that yeah, basically any, anything really yeah, anything. i also um if i look at story aspects of it i also am quite a pessimist when it comes to uh the human race and what we how we choose to spend our resources how, what we choose to spend our time thinking about so 
there's never really like a good and evil in my games, even though that it might appear that way at the start. So it was I was I'm definitely influenced by the real world as well. Like for example, um, when I it sounds like a spoiler, but this game will this this will be out. This game has been out for a few years now, so I don't feel too bad. But when your character discovers a, a damning truth about the, the resource that you use and fight over... It's people. Uh, <laughs> well, I can't, I'm not going to say no, what no, it is. No, don't but say But when you is, discover no. what the, 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 the... When you have the reveal, mm. most players will assume that the hero that you play as will help defeat that evil or rather change that thing that is bad. Mm. But you know what happens? Nothing at all, no. because clean energy is that much more valuable than making that human, like that sort of moral choice. Yeah. And people yeah. would rather stick their head in the sand and let it go, carry on. And I got emails from people saying it was really miserable, and why did they choose such a miserable ending? And they hated the ending because that's not a good way to finish a game. And I just thought, but it's realistic in a, in a sort of like unrealistic game. That's the most realistic aspect of it is that we, as humans, we'd go, yeah, I know that. For example, I imagine if you found out that uh, puppies were killed to produce uh, liquid, um, you know, cold fusion. Once we have cold fusion, we'd we'd be like, well, whatever, they're just puppies, and that's exactly what we'd do. You just know it, so yeah. therefore, I tried to take some of that aspect and build that into the story. That's interesting. Yeah. So, so uh, it's a study on the human condition or lack of therein. Um, yeah, yeah, with steampunk mechs, with steampunk mechs, and very dapper. Um, commanders, very dapper. The clothing, yeah. very nice. Yeah, that's what I also wanted it to be. Um, uh, take inspiration from history as well, where we would f- favor fashion and etiquette over Function. combat functionality. And yeah, I love the idea that they wear petticoats and <laughs> would probably have a tiny little uh, brow mopping um, handkerchief for when it gets incredibly hot yes. and sweaty. And because you know what, they're not taking that dress off. There's no way they're taking off that bonnet. No, no way. That's their uniform. It's how they look like a lady yeah. or a gent. Or and uh, I'm not judging. Exactly. <laughs> and that's yeah. Well, <laughs> in the Victorian era, it wasn't so. Um, yeah, flexible, I mean, I they don't mention proles or anything like that, but it is quite the borderline. <laughs> What's a what? A prole? A prole? Proletariat. Still not sure what that is. Working class. Oh, okay. <laughs> I did not know this. Um, but, yeah, we do. They do. They, they, talk, they slightly talk down upon um, certain groups. Yes. yes. Yeah, but they have to. They, it, it's not what I think. It's just what... It's no, the tone of the game. They, have, they right. have to feel that they are better. It's, it's because... very dangerous for the creator to project. Uh, yeah, I know. Yeah. That's a problem. Yeah. I can imagine people who write... Uh, uh, you know, films that deal with racism or uh, sexism or stuff can often catch some flack and go, well, you must think these things because you wrote it. Well, I don't know. I just thought I was trying to put my head in the mind of that person. But yeah, you can see how that might be tricky. Yeah, that's tricky without actually falling down a pit. So, but no, it's, 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 uh, I think being inspired by the human condition is brilliant because that's how else can you express yourself in, in, or express that, but in a video game because it's very interactive. So you're actually doing the things and enacting the things like, wait, I don't want to do this. Like, yeah, but you're doing it now. I mean, yep. like when you when you play games like GTA or it's a good example, I think. I mean, you are some GTA Five. Some of the characters in it are horrible. I mean, yeah, really unlikable people. Generally nasty people, but you do it right. Yep, because <laughs> you can't because you have empathy and you're blighted. 
with empathy, and therefore you won't do those things. But you can on a video game. Yeah. So that's okay. <laughs> so, um, what developer do you most admire in the industry and why? Mm. This one's hard well, it- to answer about until you hurt anyone's feelings. <laughs> uh well, because, because everyone I don't mention is bad. Is that no, you, you might no, you might think that you've forgotten them. <laughs> no, no, no. I would say that I I strongly admire Riot video Riot Games, who make mm. League of Legends, uh, because they've managed to keep adding to mm. a very sim- simple format of game mm. for seven or eight years now, and continues to keep it fresh and exciting, and and uh, well, just fresh and exciting with new mechanics and minor tweaks. To the extent that it's still recognisable as the same game, but it's still more exci- it's still very exciting to return to as someone who has been playing it for five or six years. That there's clearly a degree of um, craftsmanship and design, just class there that's a cut above the rest, and it, I, they're an incredibly impressive studio. And if I talk about an indie game company, uh, I love Lambeer. You know, the creators of um, tons and tons of games like Nuclear Throne Nuclear and Throne. Ridiculous Fishing yeah. because they tackle lots of different kinds of genres and, mm. again, have, are able to make best in class of, of that genre. Yeah. I do feel that they have the resources to do so now, which is, it's like, it's a bit unfair to say, um, oh, I don't know, it's, it's, really, it's really tricky because now they have the resources, they can spend the extra months to to implement the stuff they know is good, whereas a smaller mm. team with, with less of a budget, they know they can produce something to the, to the level of perhaps um, Nuclear Throne or whatever, but they just can't. They, just, they, they, have, to make, they have to make the cuts. They have to ship the thing. Mm. So we'll struggle to attain the same level of quality. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, hmm, who else? Who else? Well, actually, you know what? Um, I'm not sure what the, the studio is called that did... Um, Legend of Zelda, the latest one. I know it's Nintendo, but it, I'm, oh, I'm sure there's I'm a, a team I inside. I don't know which one it is. You're right. There's a there's a whole raft of them, isn't there? But yeah, let's just give it to them. Sure, <laughs> it's, that, it's those people. Like, those people who made Breath of the Wild. Yeah, they're they're, they're got to be geniuses. And the reason I respect them for that is because I really don't like open world games. I find they're mostly filler, mm. and I also find that they. There's, I've often found that since I've played World of Warcraft so much, there's not much point in having an open world game unless you fill it with real people. Mm. What's the point? Unless you can share pe- the stories like, hey, I've just met this random person on top of this hill and we did a quest together or mm. that kind of stuff. Which is why I never really got into Skyrim or, or anything like that. But yet Breath of the Wild, having been a single player open world game, was the total opposite for me. I couldn't get enough of it. So I have mm. to say massive respect to them for that. For uh, I didn't follow the hype. I had no interest in that game until it launched, mm. and other people said, "Look, I know you don't like open world games. You really must play it." Mm. I went, "You know what? I'm going to try it out because all these people can't be wrong." And it was they were spot on. It was it was fantastic. I I can only yeah. concur. I was more ex- I I wasn't excited. I didn't even know the name of the game. I was like, another Zelda one. And I said I actually called it another that. Zelda game. Another yeah. Zelda game. Oh, okay. I knew nothing about it at all. I'm happy to say I was more yeah. excited by the Switch because I'm a nerd and yeah. I like you know like new hardware and new things. And yep. then laughing at the terrible adverts. That's what I was more excited about. Yeah. But sure. then yeah. you know I had the, the Zelda in my hands and playing that, turning train journeys that normally last half an hour into twenty seconds. Yes. 
<laughs> yeah, absolutely. Magical. Absolutely and making magical. it fun to navigate as well and fun to us to, to yeah. yeah. Anyway. So, yeah, excellent answers. Thank you for those. Thank you. So, last question in the first half. See, you made it. Well done. Um, and this is my favourite question because it gives you a hint about what, what gets you going, what gets you excited in this medium. But what are you playing right now? Oh, Sonic Rush. Oh, I just I said Sonic Rush. Out. Sonic Mania. <laughs> Sonic <laughs> Rush is the is the other excellent game um, yes. made on the th- on the th- the DS yes, many years yes, ago, which I thought yeah. was the, the next. That was a good game. Second yeah, Mania. They've, uh... Sonic Mania. I've only played, uh, I'd say, forty minutes of it because it only came okay. out last night, and I, yeah. I played it my lunchtime today. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, they've finally it's done it. Wonderful game. It is just yeah. simplicity. Uh, lots of lovely little mechanics yeah. that just make you smile. They've actually they've actually gone to much deeper than the original Sonic 1, 2, and 3 in that you've got things like... I've just jumped on a syringe and squeezed out some gel and made some liquid into a bouncy, wobbly surface that springs you up in the air. Mm-hmm. And that's a nice mechanic. I've never seen anything like that in a Sonic game before. Well, obviously, I haven't played Sonic games probably in like 20 years, but um, that feels great in the old 2D format. So, loving it. It's great. Yeah. It's, um, they went back to the people who love Sonic. Is it, that's... Uh, could you Funny that. Yeah. <laughs> I just hope it sells really, really well so yeah. that Team Sonic, having finally listened to the community, because you know, we've been bleating about this for, for decades, why don't they make Sonic games like they used to? I hope it sells equally as well as, if not better, than the current generation Sonic games. So they go, oh, well, we didn't lose any money and it made a decent chunk of change back. Let's keep going with these. You know, make them, let them make a Sonic Mania 2 and carry on. Well, Crash Bandicoot sold, which I, I don't understand. I actually, you know, I really don't understand that because I did like Cra- Crash Bandicoot one and found it incredibly hard. But mm. surely there wasn't that many people who played Crash Bandicoot one that they could get that many people to buy the the, the trilogy. I mean, like we're talking stellar sales on that one. You'd Ridiculous. expect you'd expect like, oh, it sold a million copies. Oh, well done, that's really good. I think it sold like five million copies. Let's have a quick look. Sorry, filler. Do, 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 do. Crash Bandy, please uh, talk about something else. Yeah, well, just talk about yourselves, everyone. We're now looking at sales figures for Crash look. Bandicoot because this is important. Uh, v- I'm going by VG charts that we uh, tend to call the random number generator yeah. in the industry. Uh, What's it claiming? It says NA, not a fan. Not, not applicable. Well, all, all of the, I mean, they, they sold out to the point they sold out. Yes, they it's been six weeks, out. number one. So that's that's pretty amazing. They sold out of copies of this game. Yeah. Oh, oh I... I'm sorry, it's playing a trailer. There we go, done. <laughs> wow. It's all right. Didn't hear it. No, that's... <sighs> so, yeah, Sonic. Um, what, what platform are you playing on, may I ask? Uh, Nintendo Switch. It is on Switch, isn't it? Yeah. Like my I, brain I... Had, I had a brain fart there. I thought it was only on, just thought it was on the major... But Switch is now part of the... The, the you know the pantheon isn't it so why wouldn't it be so yeah it's yeah. on Nintendo Switch and it really is just um, the best platform for it it just yeah. feels like the kind of game it's that uh, you you turn it on it turns on in one second and then you are playing Sonic from exactly where you were when you stopped and you can play for five minutes and you finish the level and you can stop and it's just perfect for that yeah, um, yeah. it's one of the reasons that I think Ironcast works well. Not trying to just quickly plug it or anything, but it works well because each mission is like five minutes long, so you can pick yeah. it up, play a mission, shut it down, go and have some dinner, and it doesn't feel like you had to turn on your PS4 or boot up your PC for it. Yeah. So yeah, 
it's a good platform it's, for it. It's the amount of times I'm going to play a PS4 game. Oh, God, I'm going to be a while. <laughs> oh, look, there's a patch. Yeah. Yeah, well, there's a patch. Then there's an, there's an update. It's a system update. Then there's a patch. <sighs> the amount of times I sat there playing on my phone waiting for something to download. Yeah. Jeez. Like, oh, anyway, modern gaming. It's a, a blight sometimes. Um, but um, anything else? Oh, what was I playing? I was playing Cave Story before that again on okay. the Nintendo Switch. Uh, that is supposed to be an absolute classic. It is. And I've played through till... I'm probably, probably going to laugh at me and say that. Oh, that's not even a quarter of the way through yet. No. I've played through to the Labyrinth area, which is after the Sand Zone or whatever. Mm. And it is not grabbing me very well. Okay. Yeah. And I don't know why. Don't worry. It's a thing. I mean, you don't have to like it everything is. that everyone else... Well, but, but people keep giving it 10s out of 10, and I think... I maybe haven't got far enough in or something, mm-hmm. but I find it's, it, it's just pretty good. It's very impressive considering it was like one person or either that or a very, very small team. Mm. Very impressive. But it's also like not, it's not making me itch to play it in the way that other games do. So mm. I, okay. I will keep going after I finish Sonic. <laughs> <laughs> good call. Okay. Well, I think I came out on a 360 version, didn't it? I seem to remember. Cave Story. Uh, I think it I was think... a browser game originally. Yeah, and like, then it eventually... Like, and then it eventually went to... Yeah, went to uh, stratos- you know, up to the stratosphere of many, many other platforms. Mm-hmm. But I think I played it first on the 360. Um, okay, then. Well, that's the end of the first half. Well Great. done. Thank you. Let's move on to the second half where we delve deep into Ironcast. First question, and regular listeners will know this is known as the zeroth question. It's not really a question at all, it's a request. Please, Daniel, tell us what is Ironcast? Ironcast is a uh, it is a turn-based strategy game mixing um, combat with puzzle matching elements. I've that's probably the best. It's a bit of a mouthful. It is. It is a bit of a mouthful. It's tricky. Yeah. It's best. It's best described by naming two other games, but Fine. this is not. This is sort of frowned upon because you shouldn't use two no. other game names in in the Patreon game, which no. is it's Puzzle Quest meets FTL, <laughs> and that's the, that is truly the best way to describe it. If you know those two games, you'll go, yeah. ah, okay, I understand what that game is. You can say Puzzle Quest meets FTL in a steampunk universe. Yeah. I mean, I've got to say, I mean, I shouldn't bring up my own anecdotes, but you played WoW, so I did. So you understand what I'm about to say, empathise. Remember fishing in WoW, that lovely yes. pastime? I would play Puzzle Quest between each bite. Like, there you go. Right. <laughs> That's efficient use of your time. <laughs> yeah, it was completely efficient. I was playing, you know, you barely play 
fishing in WoW, yeah. you're just like you're just kicking on things. Oh, there's a, and I was fishing for crab meat for for the main tank because I was a raider. So I, I yeah. raided a lot, so I, I was a priest. I was a healer, so I was I didn't I was fishing this stuff for him. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's that is an incredible <laughs> devotion to your guild. It or really your, was. Uh, group. Yeah, I could cook it and I could fish for it, and there you go. That was my job. And then he could have fished for it. Uh, yep. Yeah, no, that was beneath him. You see. <laughs> well, then he shouldn't get the meat. Sorry. <laughs> well, no, he needed it for anyway. Yeah. Anyway, I can't remember. I think there was a limitation on skills and how many skills you could have. I can't remember. No, you're Maybe fishing. I, I, anyone could fish. So I, just I, think, you know. I think it was anyone could fish. I think I got shafted there, but anyway, it yeah. was done. Um, but um, so yes, you're right. It's uh, match three to a point. Don't that uh, it's not Candy Crush. No, where are you going? No, please stay, stay. It's not that. So uh, if, we're, if, we're, if I'm honest, it's actually called a link three. It's a link because three. Yes. matching three is it does describe something like Candy Crush, but mm. this is far more like a game called Dungeon Raid, and I'm sure there's a bunch of others which do the mechanic the same, mm. which is where you draw your finger or your cursor through. Uh, lines so yes. like matching diagonally and <clears throat> all the vertical and horizontal planes and you're trying to make the longest chain possible so it's a bit more like making chains of colors as opposed to swapping one for another one and then those ones being deleted if you know what i mean so it's not yeah. really i mean you can kind of think of it as match three in that you have to look for threes before you can begin mm. um that's the only but, reason i yeah. mentioned it but so the, the link can't stop you can't well no it can't uh, but unless there are some special little tokens that appear sometimes, they make you do amazing things. Like the yes. link one, the I think like the link nodes are lovely because you start off with, you know, weapons and then you switch switch over to coolant. <laughs> That's yeah. right. It allows you to get maximum uh, value out of each match, basically. Yeah, as long as you could position them properly. And but I want to talk about this linking. So why is there a limit of only two sequences for linking? Per combat, why is the player that's, limited to two? That's a brilliant question. I'm so pleased you asked that because I was dying to talk about it. Uh, originally, on the PC version, there were three, and because three is a nice number, if three feels like a nice number, doesn't it? it feels it's a like magic it's number, yeah, yeah, three. Yeah, yeah. But what it allowed you to do, it it threw the game balance out completely because mm-hmm. if your opponent had uh, was unlucky enough to have their shields down and their their defenses down. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, they like didn't have enough energy on the board, or they overheated, or you destroyed one of their um, defensive systems. Mm. You could, in three matches, uh, match up all the am- ammunition off the board, fire your gun, perhaps two or even three times, match up wow. all the the rest of the purple that came down, all the ammunition, fire another two or three times, and then do it a third time and potentially kill an opponent in one turn. Or at least so heavily cripple them that it's just not going to be fun for the rest of the of the, the battle. Mm. Uh, which that sounds kind of cool if that happens sometimes, but the opposite is true as well. Which is that if the enemy has their defenses up and they're strong, then suddenly you feel really ineffective in that game because you're like, what? Last turn, last round, I was wrecking these guys. Now suddenly it's really hard. So it's inconsistent, and you didn't feel a nice um, climb in difficulty. It didn't feel like it was slowly getting more and more difficult and more challenging. It felt like some battles are really easy, and some of them are really hard, depending on very small things. So I simply limited the amount of resources that you have access to in one turn by a third, by 33%. But uh, to combat that not feeling like it threw all the balance out the window, I reduced the overall health of your opponents by about 20%. So 
you wouldn't have to do as much overall damage to kill them because you didn't ha- you obviously didn't have to access to a, a third of the resources. Mm. So that's the reason, basically. Okay, it's just I spotted that. Oh, that's really a great. Um, you have to optimize everything, every link. I'm sitting. Yes. I'm, I spend most of my time in Ironcast staring at the grid, going, I don't know. Well, if I went there, no, because if you did that, then you'd lose out on that. But yeah, but, that's the that's you, the plan. But you need scrap. No, I don't. I need to shoot it. You know, it's just yeah. <laughs> that's it. I want to make sure. I want to by the knock-ons were that, that link nodes became more important. Yes, and um, it uh, there was just so many more layers to it. Then suddenly that oh, because basically what I wanted to offer in Ironcast was continuously difficult choices. Mm. Um, very rarely do you feel like this is 100% the right thing to do. Most of the time you feel like, well, if I take out his shields, he can't defend himself, and therefore I'll probably kill them quicker. All right? Mm-hmm. But they have got that huge laser cannon, and he'll be putting the hurt on me while I do it. So if I kill, But if I kill that laser cannon first, he's very ineffective against me. But then yeah. I might be just plinking against his shields and run out of time, as in not... Uh, seconds time but turns you know you mm. might run out of turns before you kill them so it's it's it is never like a clear-cut 100 percent do this thing uh and the moments when it does feel like that is because you have enough experience the game that you you went through all the options went okay this is the one i'm gonna do this one it, it's it's clear to me now which is mm. way way more fun, i love I that think. reading reading from the game you, you you just mentioned it there is a time limit everyone for not every combat but most of them Yes. Maybe I'm wrong, but vast majority of them, you have eight turns, maybe two turns, or whatever, yep. uh, because they have various different sort of different missions that you encounter. But um, yep. one thing, one game you didn't mention at this game that Ironcast is related to is also is Rogue, because it, there's yes, the Rogue like going on. But then, how much is it like Rogue in the end? I, don't I mean, know. Well, yeah, there's no little am, am, you know ab, there's no little ad sign, is there? And no, it's not, no, it's not an ASCII, is it? And you're, no. not in, you're not in a dungeon. The trouble with the term roguelite and roguelike is yeah. we have to use it so that people do all the work for you in their brains when you say yes. what the game is. So if I say roguelite, people go, oh, cool, so it's got permadeath. Uh, it'll probably have pr- pr- like uh, persistent rewards between playthroughs, so I'm always going to make yes. some advancements even if I die immediately. Uh, it's probably going to have randomized or procedural elements. Yeah. yeah. And even though people often cry... What? It's nothing like rogue. It's like I'm sorry, person, but you've lost. It's lost its meaning now. It's it's like yes. the word literally doesn't mean the word doesn't mean doesn't literally mean, anymore. Doesn't mean it literally anymore, which it which should, kills me. But you know, yeah, figuratively it should be using or actually it might yeah. be. Yeah. yeah, but let's not go there. Um, the reason I've raised this is because it's my second question. The construct is: How have you balanced the um, persistent rewards following? repeated attempts at each play session with difficulty of Ironcast. How have you made sure that those rewards don't basically, for want of a better term, nerf the experience? Well, uh, it's a leading question, that one, Mm. because I do nerf the experience with the persistent rewards. That's the thing. Mm -hmm. Um, My thinking there is that everyone likes to finish games. No one really wants to stop playing. If they're having a good time, no one wants to stop playing because they've they've got frustrated or got stuck that's like the worst thing and there's a lot of depth in ironcast systems and mechanics going on there that most players uh some players will get them all and go oh 
this is easy. I completely see how this works. Other players would be like, oh, I'm enjoying the matching and I'm enjoying the, the blowing stuff up, but I don't really understand how shields work or whatever. Or they just don't mm. quite get the finer points that would be the difference between the winning, completing the game or not. Uh, well, you know what? Over time, person, B, you'll get 10% more XP or like, was it 3% more XP for playing the game and maybe you'll get a bit further. And next time, even if you haven't quite nailed... Um, the like really in-depth mechanics you know what you might get a bit further maybe you'll finish it and yeah. i think that's okay that really is okay and people who say otherwise you know it's, it's not like it's a multiplayer game by the way it's not like i'm actually uh, one person has an advantage of another person which is wrong it is just someone who bought the game and is having lots of fun will probably eventually finish the game if as long as they put enough time and effort into it i think that's that's totally cool so yeah yeah we do, we do nerf the game not a huge amount it's not like you once you've played for an hour or two, it's like half the difficulty. We're talking like overall, we probably reduced the difficulty by like 20% through all right. the upgrades, yeah. something like that. So it's still going to feel hard. Hmm. But um, yeah, it's, it's def- definitely intended to do that. Yeah, I just wanted to talk about that because, you know, it's not something few people actually discuss in my experience. People don't really talk about, okay, you, you're replaying the game and you're replaying the experience and you're gaining rewards that you feel that you carry on for the next session. Mm-hmm. What does that do to it? You know, you're changing that thing by 3%. What have you done? You've balanced it based on 0%. Now you've added this 3%. What have you done? But you know um, it is yeah. going to be 3% easier. That's what yeah. you know. Like That's yeah. the thing. And if if you think, I really struggled to complete this before, uh, and if it had been 10% easier, would it have been fun? And as long as you don't go to the point where, for example, if it was 50% easier, I think we'd lose fun because everyone likes to be challenged. So, yeah. But then again, I think a lot of people actually would stop playing. Many people don't, but some people would stop playing when they've completed it, right? So they will never experience it when it gets too easy for them. They'll often go, yes, I finally finished Ironcast. It took me uh, a week or it took me two months or whatever. It took you you a night. But it has has reached the difficulty that you just scraped through and you felt good. So there's that. Which I think is the reason for not having easy, medium and hard modes in lots of games Mm. because... Often people will play on easy and then be like, "Oh, well, I finished it, but yeah, you know, I like playing games on normal because I thought that's the default. The default, the, it usually the is. It's usually how it's built. So that's how I thought. That's how I play normal. I know there's a whole raft of discussion about difficulty levels. Let's not delve into that here. Okay, uh, but um, it's a it's a good discussion to have. My my position is, if you finish it on normal, you probably played the game as the developer intended. Yes. Um, Third question then, and this is one I, I have great fun with, especially on playing Ironcast both on the large television I have in my living room and also uh, on the train. Um, how did you develop the communication feedback to the player with, their, with respect to the state of their Ironcast during the combat? Uh, do you mean like what parts are on fire and which parts mm, are... Which, which, what state they're in, at what, at what point, you know, like how do you, how do you think you, you... I know how you've done it, but I want you to, to tell me how that developed. How did you... Because there are subsystems that get more damage than others and that sort of thing. How do you think you communicated to the player that things aren't great on their iron cast, or not as the case may be? Uh, um, well, that's a very tricky question because... <clears throat> if, I, if I tell you the answer, it's basically describing what we put in the game. Do you want me to describe what we put in the game? <laughs> no, not so much that. I just wanted to talk about more high-level discussion about how you alert the player to the state of their machine. Oh, well, on the on 
Well, lots of screen shake helps a lot. Um, <clears throat> whenever you're hit with a with a weapon that does damage, we tend to make a big deal of it through particles, through sound, and through explosions and, and screen shake and things. Mm-hmm. And that's one of my favourite aspects of game design. Actually, it's one of the, the elements that a lot of people fall down on um, because anyone can program something the health bar to reach zero mm. and to to say zero percent healthy and have the effects. But it's the it's the the fact that the system catches fire. There's an explosion. Your ironcast rocks back on itself, and the actual um, health bar flashes like to give you a, a sense of pressure and and concern over mm. the fact that the health bar is zero. It's not just like oh that thing's zero. Never mind. It's pulsing right. red. There yeah. are probably horrible clanky sounds now playing. Mm. It, it, everything should sort of point to the point point to the fact that you should be repairing this thing as quickly as possible. Right. Um, and obviously we also do have a separate health bar for each system mm. on the UI. But I think that UI is uh, it's good to – it's secondary, really. It's more like the thing blows up and you go, whoa, what was that? And you look up and go, oh, my goodness, my main gun is dead. <laughs> I've got, it's, it's more like you'd look up afterwards mm. having just noticed that a lot of bad things, sounds happened and some yeah. screen shake. So, yeah, yeah and that's why – that's, yeah, it did because that's what I was trying to get out of you is that – you know, you clearly thought about it. That's the yeah. thing. I've, I've never seen, I rarely see this in a game. Normally, it's, it's a big struggle that you, your a, your avatar, whatever you're playing as, is no different from when they are in full health to when they're under like a slither. And yeah. Like, oh, I'm dead. How did that happen? Because you've got a little bar in the top right end of the corner, which is barely out of your peripheral vision, and you're focusing on tackling things and killing things, and you forget, oh, I'm dead. Had that happen? It happens, you know. And I personally, I think that's bad game design. I think the player, if they're focused, if you're dragging the player's attention right in the middle of the screen, then that's what they're looking at. That's it. Yep. <laughs> and there's um another aspect of it, of of all this is that mm. when your iron cast is in bits, yes, uh, and you know you're losing, and everything's mm. on fire, and there's sparks everywhere, it actually makes. The the fight more tense and exciting, mm. whereas if it looked exactly the same, <clears throat> and you're still in the same position, you're still you're still like a very low health iron cast with one of the, most of the systems are, are like are damaged or, or inoperable. You just won't feel the same tension as when f- flames and smoke are billowing out of your character, your your mech. It just doesn't it just doesn't feel that level of oh what, and the idea that you actually pull it back and make a, a last second save and win that battle and then go back to the the, uh, the the hangar bay and repair, you don't get the same sense of relief until you've just basically just recovered all those systems and repaired them. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Last question. I know. All good things must come to an end, but there it is. There's some upgrading, a little bit of crafting going on in Ironcast. Yeah. Uh, what have you done to not make it too overwhelming for the inexperienced player to, you know, not find themselves with a, a wall of icons in what I call Dota 2-like? <laughs> yes, great. Another great question. I'm so pleased you have spotted these things. We did originally have components that you would loot off the enemy. So we mm. did in, in, in Ironcast, we have blueprints. So if you wreck an enemy, we randomly choose one of the weapons and systems it had and choose that as a a thing a blueprint for for you to build your own version of it and it's it's usually the version like one tier higher so that you feel progression it's not like if it dropped a mark 2 cannon you'll probably build a mark 3 cannon out of it 
so we didn't want to be like oh you're just behind the enemies the whole time but originally we're going to do stuff like oh scrap metal and uh you'll need ammunition and wiring and uh brass and copper and all the components and glass and things and then after a while i realized that you know what that's just a level of complexity that's just not needed that's just busy work i let's just make the one currency which is just called scrap scrap metal you kill an enemy you get 150 scrap and it costs 200 to build this uh this new weapon you need to get another 50 from somewhere as simple as that you can sell something else or you can do another mission or whatever and that felt to me like we had enough we had enough systems going on elsewhere enough complexity in the game that we didn't need to have crafting beyond can you afford to buy this it's kind of more it's more like an exclusive shop where we don't just let you buy anything you have to bring in like uh, the thing you want to buy and the shopkeeper goes, yeah, sure, I'll build that for you. Just give me the money. And then you give them the 50 quid and then you come back and you get the, you get the item. Hmm. Yeah. It's, 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 I'm just really impressed by it because it's so simple, so straightforward, so easy to see what's going on. And I cool. just wanted to know how it came about because that's what the show's about. How did you develop this stuff? We all know what you've done. We can see what you've done. But now, after all these questions and the end of the show, you've told us how you did it. Thank yeah. you very much for that, Daniel. No I worries. I hope you got a lot out of it. So the game is Ironcast, and it's out on Windows, PC, Mac, and Linux, right? Yep, PS4, and, Xbox and, One, and now Nintendo Switch. Excellent. And uh, I can't recommend it highly enough. It is wonderful on the Switch. It is, oh, thanks. It's, it's as if it's like, this is where it's supposed to be. I and, feel the same way. I'm not supposed to have... <laughs> I'm not supposed to have a favourite. No. Uh, as, a, as a parent, should never have a favourite. No. But it was meant for Switch. It's got the touchscreen elements, which is great for handheld. Yeah. And the portability element can't be... It just, it just doesn't get much better than that, basically, as far as I'm concerned. And one thing, one thing I really got from this conversation with you, which I really appreciate, is you care so much about the player's experience. You really really do yes every, every answer you've given me has been about empathy about the empathy of well what do they feel what is a player feeling at this point every step of the way and it's really shown so thank you for that oh no no worries thank you for that's really nice to be uh that's nice i'm not gonna say anymore that's <laughs> just nice <laughs> so um daniel thank you very much for coming on the show it's been fantastic having you on um you've been a great guest and i'd love to have you back on to talk about whatever next venture you have Sure. I have no idea what that is, but uh, sometime we've have had re- repeat guests come on, which has been Great. lovely, and you'd be more than welcome to, to come on. Of course, we won't talk about the first half again, because that would be ridiculous, but <laughs> we'll just talk about the second half, maybe extend it a little bit longer. To, yes, so we of course. Can, uh, yeah, but um, yeah, thanks for coming on. Thank you very much. And so ends another episode of the Sausage Factory. Do leave us an iTunes review. And you can also, don't forget, listen to us on Stitcher.com. So just go to Stitcher.com and you can stream the show from there. You just look up the Sausage Factory and you can find us. That'd be great. You can follow me on Twitter at Chris O'Regan, no apostrophes. And uh, if you want to email me, any feedback on the show, or actually you're a developer, you listen to the show and want your game featured on it, please do email me at chris at spong.com. Also, don't forget to check out the Computer Game Show, which is the stablemate podcast, should we say, of spong.com. Bye!